Hello and welcome to the Ocean Impact Podcast. Our guest in this episode is Matt Draper. Matt is a fine art photographer and conservationist who has really made a big impact in the last five or six years. I first met Matt in Byron Bay in about 2014 and it was at the start of this really intriguing journey that he was going on. He was leaving his career working in mining and construction to follow his passion for protecting marine life, capturing incredible imagery and realizing his dream of being an artist. Since those early years, Matt has been on what can only be described as a meteoric rise from joining forces with incredible leading conservationists like Sylvia Earle to having his artwork purchased by the rich and famous in North America. I caught up with Matt uh, when he was having a brief pit stop in Sydney during the COVID-19 crisis before now heading back to Kauai where he's basing himself. I really thank Matt for his time and for being so open in this conversation. I hope you enjoy this episode. If you do, please rate it, share it, and make some commentary. Thanks for tuning in. Stoked to have on the podcast today, Matt Draper, uh, fine art photographer, legend of the conservation and art world, and um, an old mate. Uh, we met back in about 2014. How are you, mate? I'm good, thanks. Yeah, really good. Happy <laughs> to be here. Now, last time I spoke to you, um, you were in Kauai, holed up through the coronavirus crisis, and you've just returned back to Australia via a bit of a dog leg, LA, yep. New Zealand. What, what are your plans from here now that we're in June, end of June 2020? Yeah. Where are you going to be heading next? Um, hoping to get to New Zealand yep. and spend some quality time there, family. Like I've been meaning to have more of a presence back there for a long time. So it could be a bit of a transition from getting out of Australia and back to the motherland for a while. And then um, from there, probably see out the rest of the year in Hawaii just a bit safer at the moment and um and my lovely lady and her dogs are there so <laughs> looks like a pretty special spot over yeah. there in Kauai at Hanalei Bay is it yeah it's amazing it's paradise like I'm super fortunate to to be able to hang out there yeah yeah I love it let's go back um tell us a little bit about growing up in in New Zealand that's um obviously where you're from and uh, people will probably love to hear a little bit about uh, you know what got you into the ocean and into into nature and conservation? Yeah. Um, I'm from a, a pretty small town called Stokes Valley. It's probably the size of Byron Bay, but it's not close to the coast at all. It's actually um, a suburb in between Lower Hutt and Upper Hutt, which is close to the city of Wellington. And um, I spent my whole life in the same house with my parents and my brother, and and Dad was just like pretty keen on fishing and. And mum as well, keen on the ocean, so like we, we spent a lot of time travelling up north in the warmer months or um, taking time off school. My old man was like, 
you know, why, why go on holiday and around Christmas time and we can take you out in February? You know, the, the weather's always so much better and the teachers hated it, but we would go up to, you know, Mount Monganui and Tauranga and Gisborne and all these places and spend a month, like, camping, like, in a tent in the campground um, with other families that were friends. So even though we didn't live close to the ocean, like, every weekend or, or opportunity, we were around it, you know. So um, that fostered like a lot of love and, and also just confidence in it. Like it's always been part of me. You know, it's not this dramatic transition where I was showing animals like or, you know, um, taken to a beach for the first time as like an adult. Like it's, it's in me. So, um, you know, whether I got into the photography or the freediving later in life, like the beach was always there. Yeah, we'd love to talk a bit more about that later on, um, how you can be so comfortable in the ocean, particularly when you're around like five-metre tiger sharks and other dangerous predators. Um, but is there any particular like memories that you want to recall um, from those early days in New Zealand um, that um, really kind of triggered that like, absolute love and appreciation of the ocean? I remember just being really drawn to big waves. Okay, okay. Was with my dad and his friend Joe Alenio once. We were walking down, um, and I think it was Hahei or somewhere in the Coromandel, and I was pretty young, and, and there must have been a cyclone swell. And it it was just huge. Like I, I think back to it now, and, and even as a surfer and a confident surfer, I, I think the waves that I was seeing that day, that it was a solid swell, and I just remember being so just amazed by it. And I, I not scared. I just wanted to to do what those guys were doing I wanted to surf and I remember asking my dad like can I get a surfboard and he was like yeah yeah we'll think about it and you know um, so I think that like I, I, it must have meant something to me because I can think back to that exact moment like I can almost like yeah completely picture it so um, yeah I think I was just really drawn to the power of it maybe the energy and and, and that it can't be tamed so um yeah, and you've definitely got that competitive spirit running through you to this day, and we'll um, we'll touch on that a little bit later on. But why don't we sort of just um, address that big question? Is you know how did Matt Dravepar find himself sort of moving into this world of photography and and capturing life aquatic to then becoming the fine art photographer? Um, do you want to sort of give us a bit of a quick glimpse into that transition and trajectory? Yeah. Um I, looking at it now, I had a creative element my entire life. Um, as a young kid, like I was really into art and, and abstract things, and and others things that others wouldn't really notice. I would spend more time looking at or kind of being mesmerised by, um, and that was just through my entire life. and And it was encouraged, like at school, and I did well and in a creative sense, but I also wasn't that academic in a sense where I was going to go to university. So I was, I think for like most, if I can speak for most like kind of young male Kiwis or Australians, if you're not doing that good at school, it's like you're going to do a trade. So I think at quite a young age, it was like you're going to be a plumber or a sparky or a builder, you know, which is like kind of sad. (laughs) It's a great job. I'm stoked I did it. But if if the fire was like ignited a bit earlier in that creative sense, maybe 
I wouldn't have had to go through the last like 10 years to get to where I am now, which is still great, you know, I probably wouldn't be where I am now without those last 10 years. Um, so, you know, when I entered the construction world and then I, I kind of did a lot of carpentry and then I moved to the mines and I think it was just like a, a massive build up of, I just didn't want to be doing this anymore, I just felt I had more, I had a, like a desire to, to follow, no actually scrap that, I just wanted to be free, you know. Like, there's a lot of um, restrictions in the mines and a lot of rules and a lot of Groundhog Day and kind of systematic, you know, convey about life. So it was just, I just, I wanted to escape there and that's how I got into like some of the things I did, freediving and photography and, and, um, and then from there it just like organically grew into this incredible journey isn't that interesting when you on one hand you can sort of ask that question like what if it had have happened sooner but then you immediately follow that that up with well maybe it, it wouldn't have yeah, happened so i don't think it would have you know because the you know to come out of a really high paying job in the mines and having financial freedom and, and physical freedom when i was on my um, registered time off, you know, I could go anywhere I wanted. That then has to be matched by you going into something new. You know, a lot of people struggle, I think, when they move from a good job into a creative sense. Where Where is that cash flow going to come from? So there's this unbalance where you start doing things to quickly have an income, which might hinder your creativity. Or for those that go straight into the creativity, that might hinder how they can earn it, an income. So I probably wouldn't have exceeded how I have if I didn't have like those underlying stresses. Like, come on, like you need to step it up. And super overwhelming, but you kind of rush through these phases that if I was to get an art degree, I would have just sat there and spent five years, you know, learning how to build a portfolio where I just did it. <laughs> Does that get us to that sort of definitive difference, I suppose, between you and many other creative photographers who may have the technical capability to go and take a great photograph, but you've approached this with a very different angle in there that you you knew you were taking this journey with a pretty clear goal, and that goal was big and it involved financial success and reputational success and all these things because I feel like a lot of people out there, maybe the people that are going to listen to this podcast and get the most from it, are kind of like maybe a little bit <clears throat> disillusioned that they're they're exerting a lot of this creativity and they're, they're taking great images but they don't really know where it's going. Yeah, I think you have to kind of, well not have to, I, I find for myself I'm clearly divided by this area and energy goes into the creative sense and it's where I express myself and I'm super vulnerable and and want to create and then the other half of the line is very clear cut of how I have to manage that in a business sense I guess you know and I think that's what if, if you look at it, what most people consider a human that is creative or an artist, they normally don't hold 
you know what it is or what it takes to have that business sense. And normally, if you meet a businessman, they don't know anything or about what it takes to be an artist or what it is to just live in that body. And I feel fortunate that I I've got both. You know, like I can't claim that, but I well, I guess I can. But like I do have both of those in my mind. Like I can. I can be in both at the same time. I can think about one, and then I can think about the other. And I think, without having, um, you know, an understanding of both, again, I couldn't get to to this point where I'm even talking about it now with you. You know, looking back on it. So, um, yeah. I think about it. Obviously, my perspective on on you is kind of unique in the sense that we met in. 2014, right when you were thrusting yourself out of that construction, mining, all that, into this with absolute vigor and energy, and that was that was palpable, and that's probably why we forged this relationship around you being an ambassador for Take Three for the Sea, and just you know using you, the imagery, the story to prop up this really important message. But I think the thing that's just remarkable is how quickly in the in the whole scheme of things, you went from that to, to where you are right now. So what were some of those stepping stones, obviously from those entrepreneurial endeavours, taking photographs of people surfing in Byron, to then starting to go and travel the world, meet other people that were doing this? Like, What are some of the really pivotal moments that made you go, right, that was the next step, this is the next step, I'm on my way here? Yeah, I think... The response from people, like when I was starting to create some of those distinctive images that are now more true to my style, and then realizing that if I was to continue being surrounded by and, and not talking down to any of this, if I was just to be surrounded by divers and conservationists and other photographers, that's not the stepping stone I kind of needed. So. When I think back to like a really definitive moment would be definitely going to LA and that was kind of um, the seed was planted with a very very close friend of mine and mentor Warren Bird he's like incredible human and he kind of um, really started prodding me and saying you know if you if you want to take this to the next level you need to go to LA you need to start being surrounded by publicists and and art other artists and museums and galleries and maybe I wasn't ready for it then or, or I didn't have the calibre of work which it, I, I did because it was received well but it, it was probably quite early in, in my early career to go over there and do that but far out like that was super defining moment and really challenging really hard like it it was the first two weeks of it sucked because <laughs> you're just this small ant in this humongous world where everyone from the outside looking in is killing it actors poets screenwriters musicians you know it's this big melting pot so yeah to answer that that's you know these heaps of defining moments but collectively I think a story is the journey, you know, but um, but LA kind of started it. When did it move from being terrifying and overwhelming to being like, you know what, this does feel right and I get a sense that if I do this, this and this, 
I could actually make it to. Yeah, well, when you start getting praise, I guess, we, we all need that in a sense to kind of, to know what, to have a feeling of knowing what you're doing is being received is a, a great way to kind of move forward. So there are a lot of no's at the start, you know, hey, we don't really represent photographers or, you know, your work's not going to make it in here or we don't want to represent you or you don't have a client base yet, you haven't sold them for this certain amount of money. So, you know, a lot of meetings I had in LA were just no, no, no and until it got to the point where, you know, I turned up there almost on a one-way ticket, which I, you can't do, but in, in theory I just turned up in LA, here I am, like, let's see what happens. And I left doing my first show, you know, that was my first ever live show and, and that came from being there and it was held by who is now one of my closest friends and advisor and just incredible human, um, David de Rothschild, but at the time, you know, that was a pretty amazing moment. Um, so I think after that, having the audience there and when I got back to Australia, that's when the it kind of sunk in that I needed to get back there and LA's where it's at and and start kind of creating more work and yeah. You talk about that need to surround yourself with the right people and people who understand the story and can articulate it because I'm imagining that's sort of everything, right? When you're going into this art world and you're going into the world of high net worth individuals um yeah what what is what is the story that they tell about matt draper do you have a good handle on that like how how are you communicated into this community yeah that's quite an important question and it's hard to answer the good thing about when i got to la is no one did know me they didn't know the old me so or, or just me in general so it's a it was just a good opportunity to to really speak to what I was doing now because it doesn't matter how many of my close friends I can be around, they still know me for a night on at a pub that you did something or funny, you know, or, or your, your, your mates in the mines know you for that, from that. Your parents, you know, kind of only know you for the time you live with them. They don't really know me for who I am now. They still do. Like, I'm not... I'm not saying it in a negative sense. It's just the only person that knows you is really yourself. So it was just a really good way for me to, to speak to the art. And so I guess most of those people know me for the artist or, or the whales or whatever it is they see and until those friendships grow into a bigger thing and they start understanding me as a character or, um, you know, it, me for, for an entirety. But... um. I feel like I'm going off track a little bit, but yeah, like... Is that essential, though? I mean, I guess I'm sort of drilling down into this this transaction, right? So you've got a customer, mm. maybe you haven't met them personally, but you know them by name, Yeah. and there's this element of, like, how they perceive you is seemingly critical, right? This is how kind of art works. Yeah, yeah, Perceive sure. you, perceive the story. So... That's, I suppose, um, I mean, I guess the question I really want to dive into is, are you okay with that? Like, do, do you do you like that there's a Matt Draper that potential customers who you may or may not have met before know of you, and then there's the real you, and is that just, 
an accepting part of being an well, artist. It, it always is real me. You know, it, it is me. Every facet, whether it be me in the mines or me when I was a volunteer firefighter, me when I was competitively fighting Taekwondo, like me selling artwork, like it is all different aspects um, that are hard to to kind of like show off as one thing, you know, so you, you, you pick and choose when you're entering those certain energetic forces, but um, in the art sense, I guess, well, first of all, they've probably seen the work or they've heard about the work or they sit down and, and buy into my story or I explain the time and effort, so when it comes to a transaction or or when I'm selling myself or someone wants to acquire a piece of artwork, I'm confident that at the end of whatever that conversation or that visual process or anything is, like it's, why wouldn't you buy it? Like, you know, without sounding arrogant, I've put, I've set myself aside because I want to create like, the best. I'm super competitive with myself and I, I love animals, I truly do and I feel like all of this has come together and what I'm doing now in my life, I really love it. So I can talk about it with pure excitement, pride and then back it up, you know. I couldn't do that in the mines, I couldn't do that in any other really aspect of my life so I'm in a u- unique position where what I'm creating is actually what I'm expressing and what I'm selling is me and what people are buying is me and and what I'm entering other people's lives as well by having a piece of me on the wall so it's, it's pretty cool symbiotic like relationship just with life. <laughs> and I want to go more into sort of technical stuff there around the creation of your art but I mean, there must have been circumstances in the past few years, communities that you've entered, energetic forces that you've entered. Where you, have you ever second-guessed? Like, is this where I'm meant to be? Like, certain people or certain yeah, settings? For sure, 100%. Um, I've mentioned to close friends, I find it quite difficult to, you know, at the moment in my life with the creation and the artwork and photography and all of that, first of all, I get this incredible journey physically where I go somewhere, you know, if it's with the humpback whales or a migrating animal, I need to learn about where I'm going to find them and who I can partner with so I can get the best experience with these animals and, you know, if, if I speak back to Tonga again, I get to spend time with a humpback whale, mother and calf and and it just changes my life in that moment like every interaction like legitimately changes my life for the better it's really really overwhelming and then in that time I'm also trying to create something that I've consciously created because I can wholeheartedly say all my work is thought out beforehand I'm not documenting the moment I am like physically documenting something happening but it's an image I know that is I'm capable of getting so then I'm they're creating it and then there's this process of showing people which sometimes means being at an art show being around high net worth people or the word kind of schmoozing and then from there it moves to giving those animals and the environment or science 
a voice through the art or a financial benefit. So I'm entering three different realms that collectively I need to keep succeeding, whatever success is measured by. Um, but they're so different. So, you know, I can be in a wetsuit around divers and then be next to billionaires and then next to conservationists. So, yeah, I do question a lot of the time when I'm, like, there physically at that moment, do I belong in this? But I'm answering it now like I do because without it, I couldn't be doing what I'm doing. So, you know, to go a little bit more off track, like, I think it's important if you don't belong in those areas, to be there. Because that's how we do bridge in between and that's how a billionaire might learn about the ocean is maybe by seeing my artwork or it might be how I learn about someone's science paper because I'm donating to that scientist because I can't speak about the animal as well as them. And then so forth and so forth, you know? So bridging those yeah. silos and creating those yeah, connections like, to answer the question like yeah there are lots of times where I'm like do I belong here but I can if I'm if I don't I can exit you know it's easy to to remove remove myself you can probably just talk a little bit more about that right so you need obviously the customers to buy the art to make the whole thing tick and you need to go out there and capture those moments um, in order to have that art to sell but that other piece you spoke about there is the conservation piece mm -hmm. and you've taken a strategy of collaborating with scientists and organisations do you want to tell us a little bit about that why yeah. you decided to take that approach and how it works I just felt I've always been around animals and wildlife my whole life like my parents where we live in Stokes Valley my parents have the family house it's in the bush you know around wildlife, birds, spiders, everything. Hasn't been this dramatic change where I've just started to be surrounded by wildlife. So I don't speak about it, and I wish I did, as passionately as people that have just entered conservation or, or an environmental sense, because, excuse me, I find people that have, have it's so overwhelming that they want to, excuse me, know why everyone else isn't talking about it. You know, and, and so my whole life has already been about that. So I feel instead of me Googling about an animal or, or putting like a, a quote up next to one of my images or kind of just doing the token conservation thing on my platform, why not partner with the absolute best, you know, that are so educated about their given subject that it's just ridiculous. And a lot of people will never read someone's science paper um, because it's just, it's not cool, you know. Yeah, or, it's not or written it's for just a wide audience. Like, yeah, yeah, it's just not, like, people are not into it. They want to see 50 Cent in a Ferrari, you know. It's just a wider audience is into stupid things. So if I'm in front of these people that have the financial freedom to help, um, why not partner with the absolute best scientists that are in their field at actually making change, whether it be through policy, through anything. So, um, yeah, it was just a no-brainer, you know, like, instead of, and then it gives me the freedom to speak about the art, because I think 
as much as I want to speak about the animals, I also want to speak about the the expressionism, the creativity, and I can now stand there and wholeheartedly do that and be really true and sincere and vulnerable in my words, and then I can say, all right, Sylvia Earle, like, let's hand it over, and, and then she just captivates everyone with, you know, her, her words are just, ins- yeah. you know, beautiful, and and she's so progressive and, you know, for a woman to have achieved what she did back then, man, you only need to hear like five minutes of her words to, for any female in the audience to walk out and just go, wow, I'm so empowered by that. So I guess, yeah, it's just a no-brainer for me in that aspect. And it kind of like takes off a little bit of pressure for me to kind of do better in every single sense when I can just have the best in that sense beside me. It's so, a bloody good strategy, yeah. mate, and clearly working because you make, you're making money and the scientific organisations and researchers are making money. Your management yeah. makes money. It works. Yeah, and, and not just the money as well. I think, you know, hopefully the animals in the environment like, are getting a better... Outcome. Yeah, a, a bit of a head start, you know. Um, I feel like I've donated quite a lot of money to science now and, and hopefully... You know, there's other aspects of my life I can do better for conservation, but this is one I'm focused on now, and, and I'm I'm happy to hear. Well, keep learning how I can do better things, but you know, I want to visually encourage people to or to evoke emotion through the artwork, and and then I also want to create an incredible product, and then I want to be able to donate to the science. So that's the three kind of areas I'm working on. You know. Can we talk a quickly about the, you know, the inspiration piece and, and the idea of replacing fear with fascination so we can talk about sharks now? Because I guess that was, from what I can see, a really, that was one of your major forays originally into saying, like, you know, this is what I stand for here. And mm. that was built off personal interactions with sharks and then realising this is this is so crap that they're being yeah. treated the way they are. Yeah, I've kind of dropped that tagline now. Um, it, 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 I think it's awesome. Um, a mantra, you know, kind of to live by. And, and it was inspired through interactions with sharks and, and through a, a few key individuals that were, you know, really bringing me into their world and and kind of understanding that... Um, Sharks aren't monsters, they're just these very misunderstood creatures. But then that tagline to me was more about just life in general. You know, it's kind of scary, and but it's it's not like it, it, everything's fascinating. We can, you know, like I think that tagline when people would ask me about it, I could easily say it was about sharks and. And it's shared between other people, you know, Ocean Ramsey and Juan, and then Riley Elliott all kind of use this as well, and and it, and, it, and they're great words to kind of make that transi- transition from, you know, apex predators having this evil sense. But to me, those words kind of meant more, like a bit, a bit deeper. So it's it's better for me to be able to just answer questions 
like this and, and to get into it than to just have those kind of words, I guess. Mm. <laughs> Sorry if I'm confusing. No, I think I, it's, it is a life mantra, right? And, yeah. and one that you've clearly taken with both hands because, you know, you've, you've gone on a pretty, what I would imagine to be a pretty scary journey. It's, it's been a wild ride for the last yeah. six years and it's going to continue. You know that, right? Yeah, for sure. But this comes down to what we were talking about earlier, which is, you know, your competitive nature, your focus on clear goals and this idea of manifesting. So do you want to tell us a little bit about that, like how, how you do manifest a vision for the future of Matt? I think, yeah, manifestation is... It's real. It really is, you know. Anything I've put my mind to, I've been able to achieve nearly. And I think I enjoy being in uncomfortable situations because I feel like it makes me stronger or better. And, and, you know, if I could define all of that with one word, it would just be... a Obsession. I just get so obsessed with something that there's no way it's not happening. Where I'm just subliminally, I end up subliminally kind of achieving it in my sleep or whether I'm walking here or there. Or, you know, I just start diverting my life so that one goal just becomes everything I'm doing. Um, so I'm not one of those people that read other humans quotes or quote other people's quotes I, I know a lot of people share things and, and they like to to have these kind of inspirational words but when it comes down to the crunch to, to there's certain requirements to achieve things and you have to be disciplined you have to be kind of like psychotically obsessed with it and then you have to understand just what it takes and and I feel like I personally strive to have those, you know, like when when I think about something that's nearly impossible, I get so excited by it. I get more freaked out if my life was just to be easy, you know, if, hey, sit on a couch, like, here, 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 this is handed to you, here, this is all good, like, oh, that freaks me out so much, you know, whereas other people are striving for that. They want to just be able to sit at home and know that the mortgage is paid off, and which is great, or or know that they've got the a job for the next ten years, and that's awesome as well. But I, not for you. No, I, I can't know that what I have now is where it ends for me. Like I, I always, I'm never happy, you know, and that that sucks. But that's that's me. I'm just not happy with. No matter when I get something, I'm like, sweet, what's the next thing? I want to do that. So there's a lot of things in myself that I need to be more content with and, and maybe it's like the ego talking or the competitiveness. or. But I just enjoy setting goals. I really enjoy setting major goals and then ticking them. And, you know whether it be in my creative sense or with a piece of art I'm trying to sell or a scientist I want to work with. I think we all have goals, but, yeah, I, I just get really 
obsessed by that. <laughs> I love it. I mean, I guess the only guess I think that comes up for me is like, you know, still making sure that you get that moment when you reach that goal to go, well done, Maddie. Yeah. Give yourself a pat on no, the back. I, I do. Like, and just to the next one. These but. words could be taken differently or well, or you might listen to this and just think I'm a complete idiot, and that's fine. I'm just trying to communicate more openly with what I feel. So if someone is listening to this and they, and they have a goal set, like understand what it takes to get there. Or if someone wants to be the best at something, understand what that is going to take. And if someone thinks they can't do it, understand that you can. So it's just being a bit more realistic about things. You know, we, we, we have all these incredible humans now on TV that, you know, whether it be Michael Jordan or... In, and we're led to believe that anyone can do it, and sometimes you can't. These guys are the best at, or, or women or humans are the best at what they do because they are the best. Um, and then other people get fortunate things. So, yeah, so when I, when I speak back to those words about never being happy, it's just, you know, I recently watched that Jordan documentary. And I, I could too. Yeah, I could probably say there are a lot of times where he wasn't happy. He, he just, he... He was compelled. Yeah, he's compelled. He's super competitive. And and when I... So I want to speak more truth to that because when I watched the Jordan one, I thought, far out. I'm, there are other people that are obsessive as me. Mm. And if people now hear me speaking about this and just being completely vulnerable in my words and, and real, like maybe someone listening right now is going, yeah, that's me as well. So cool. I'm, I'm actually going to go with that a bit more instead of suppressing it you know because we all there's just collectively we're not that great but there's just so many incredible individuals that need to be encouraged to to be the best of them the best they can be for themselves you know how to give people a bit of a practical insight into what that competitive process and that manifestation of vision can look like. We spoke earlier about one of your favourite photographs you've taken to date with the, the whale and the mm -hmm. sunrise. I mean, that's probably a pretty good example to show where you knew what you wanted and you were willing to do whatever it takes yeah, to get it. That was... Yeah. So it was... I set out to, to create an image of a humpback whale like pretty much surfacing for air the moment the sun rises, which um, when you think about it or try to picture in your mind, it doesn't seem all that special, but technically and creatively, creatively and, and physically and everything, it was such a mission. You know, I spent, excuse me, 50 days back to back in Tonga trying to make it happen over 500 hours which required getting up in the morning when it was still dark, you know, searching for the whales when it was still dark, finding the whales when it was still dark. And then you get to that point and the whales disappear. Or you wake up in the morning and there's just so much cloud cover, you're not going to get a sunrise. And then, you know, I can go on for, for hours about all the challenges and you start realising for that moment to actually line up it is 
pretty impossible, but it's also very possible. I just got super obsessed with what that was going to take and and even to the point where I already knew what my settings were going to be for the camera and that I had to use a long exposure because there's not going to be enough available light and, and so on and so on. And I've never shown this image on my social media or on my website or, you know, really publicly and I probably won't, you know, because it, it needs to be given context to the story and, and an understanding of how important that exact moment was to me and when I revealed that that piece it was at a show in New York at the Explorers Club with, with Sylvia Earle actually and, and um, I had I think five pieces of work in another room and then everyone came into the lecture room in the Explorers Club and and we revealed the piece that, that had like a curtain over it and it was cool. It was the first time I could like really stand there and be like, this was hard to get. And this is time and effort, like everything, of, the most I've ever poured into to a project or a, a something. So I was super proud of it. And to me, that image is just, it's kind of like a trophy for me of, of like, no, just I, I don't validation know, yeah, no, for this like, decision that you've made. Yeah, like it's just just a goal that I created, and it's a beautiful moment. It's it's a at that moment in time, it's probably you know the the first humpback whale on Earth to surface for air that day. You know, Tonga is technically the first nation to see the sun every day, and and I was out there, and you know, there's so many some some you know so much symbolism around that that piece that I don't want to just show anyone like it uh, so you know I've written this incredible narrative with a storyteller Kim Franco I'm working with and I've flown all the way to Sun Valley Idaho um, on two different occasions to spend days and days and days now writing narratives to to most of the artwork I have just to to give it communicate what's going on in, in a lot of its work and also for, for those narratives to stand alone as their own artwork they have a, quite a unique poetic flow to them um, yeah so and, and those words you know when if they're read they explain what it really took to get that photo <laughs> what does it mean that that image now which means so much to you is going to end up printed on the highest quality of materials by the best people in the business to only exist in 10 solid forms that will hang on rich people's walls that <laughs> other people won't never see. Is that is that just part of the, of, of the intention of this dedicated uh, work or is that just a kind of a consequence of it? It is a consequence. I think my friend Michael Muller, he's an incredible photographer, artist, he he's one of the top Hollywood portrait photographers and shark photographer and, and he's always like, why don't you make your art more accessible to people I guess that can't afford it, you know, just in, if I was to say the, the exact words and it's just part and parcel. I mean if Rolex wanna make the best watch it just falls in that category. If I wanna create the absolute 
best fine art photography it falls in that category and it, and it does suck to an extent that it's going un, unseen by many others but I also know it's been appreciated by a lot of others as well and, and I can't just pick and choose and you know I would love to create a poster that people could get for $10 of a turtle but there's other people that do that and, and there's other ones available and, and you tried and, that too yeah, well, a yeah well, like at the very start kind of yeah but it's not what I want to do. I yeah. want to create incredible fine art and the category or calibre of people it falls into is a byproduct of that. And I, I can make things more accessible. And, but mm. I think it's funny. Like I can imagine that a lot of people are going to tune into this podcast, whether they hear about it from me or OIO or from you, they're going to be like, oh, wow, I wonder if one day I could be like Maddie, but I don't think it's about becoming anything, it's about being something. Yeah. Like the more we talk about this, the more we realise this this is you and this is the culmination of your life's journey. For sure. I, I've always been this human, whether it, whatever it is I'm doing, so I think just like, again, going back to that Michael Jordan thing, like he's he just is that human. You know, he went to baseball. I think I saw a photo of him in a fishing competition, which I, I don't really agree with, but he, he caught this monster Blue marlin, marlin, yeah, and I think whatever he does, it just has to be on the highest level. And, and it's the same for me. If I, if I want to pick up the guitar, I want to learn, like, a really hard song straight away. If, if it just... That's just me, you know? yeah. and then I, I've I've got some of the closest friends ever that just don't have that nature at all, and they're they're beautiful for that sense, you know. I've I've got friends that just so relaxed and chill, and not competitive at all, and if you if you want to play a game with them, they'll just like happily lose because they enjoyed playing it, and that's cool as well. So, and I'd listen to a podcast to them and go, "Whoa, that's that's cool," and. and the qualities of life that rub off from that personality which is why humans are special and important because we live somewhat or a lot of us or a lot of you live somewhat robotic lives but we are very unique and individual and and to have that kind of massaged out of you where it can be shown in the in the aspect of your life is great that's kind of what I'm striving to do. If I was more qualified, I'd, I'd want to go and dive even deeper into the causative <laughs> reasons <laughs> for all of that. Because yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm funny, I'm, I'm not in that... Well, I can, I can muster some competitive... No, um, I can tell by your nature, you're just super chill. You know, like you're very calming to be around and I think... I couldn't see you really... Being worried if you lose something, or yeah, my whole thing is is having like the long game mapped out. Yeah, I feel like That's I've cool. got some philosophical values and some some life smarts that see that it's the long game, and so I try and avoid those bumpy aberrations that can come with the mm-hmm. highs and lows. I'd much prefer to find that steady path and reach the end goal, which I plan. So, yeah, maybe then we'd find synergies in in where we end up but the approach that we take there could be quite different yeah for sure 
one of the things I was just, you know, in watching that Michael Jordan documentary, you know, he would gamble with security guards, like flicking the coins. Totally. And, you know, heard, yeah, he, he'd be a multi, multi millionaire, <laughs> but if he just made a $5 bet with a security guard, he was taking that $5. Yeah. That, was, yeah. that, that surprised me because I couldn't imagine myself in that situation. I could. You could? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I actually... Because you went in it to win and I yeah, just won, no, so... I, I thought it was funny when he walked away. I think he had lost to that guy. And, you know, I, I, said, I looked over to my friend Darcy, who I'm, I'm living with now while I'm here in Sydney. And I was like, well, he's got everything that anyone could ever want. But in that two seconds he is so upset about that loss which is just the epitome of being a human you know we are really we can only carry around our body and our brain and our heart everything else is is just mm. yeah do you want to tell us a little bit about um, gear and technology I mean we've had a great conversation but I'm conscious that People out there might be tuning in to learn a little bit more about what you're working with now and um, yeah, sure. and where it's come from, where it's going. Yeah, um, I'm really proud to be working with um, a manual focus rangefinder at the moment. Um, well, hopefully for a long time. Um, I felt the cameras are so good now. It was. <laughs> speaking back to the competitiveness it was kind of too easy for me um, not saying I'm, I'm better or good or anything like that like it just it, the challenge wasn't there with the camera setup I was using I just felt like the auto focus the dynamic range everything was you know and, and that's what you want to be using of course and you know people might say why wouldn't you want to use camera like that to me it wasn't really paying homage to the form of art that photography is and I, I've always been really um, attracted to the Leica the rangefinder it's just the purest form of photography in, in my opinion um, without you know using film excuse me it's still digital so it was just a crazy idea to try to take that underwater because it's not going to perform but it also is because it's the purest form of photography it's actually a rangefinder is nearly as good as it gets when you when you align it correctly it's an incredible system of focusing and and the Leica lenses they have a, a manual aperture ring and you can see the aperture blades and so Technically, it kind of is perfect, and it, and it shows that you don't really need a lot of other aspects in the camera setup. So it was really important to to dive into that as a as a challenge and a goal to create a underwater housing for the Leica M series and to start you know using this as my main equipment and to start creating art. Um, you know, all the companies or brands or humans I want to associate my f fine art with are you know, like the purest form, whether it be, you know, I'm, I'm, whether I want to be associated with Rolex or Leica, like they are those names for a reason. 
So um, when I think of Leica, it is really fine art. You know, it, it's like the best photojournalism or correspondents in war use these cameras for a very long time. Um, it's super historic and and it's yeah. So that, that's what I'm on now. Um, I'm using only a 50mm lens and a 35mm lens, both fixed lenses, so they can't zoom. Um, and, and I've created, with the help of well, Doa Marine, which is Sylvia Earle's company, which make submarines, um, her daughter Liz and her husband Ian, and um, their son Taylor, who's an incredible human and so creative and smart and I mean, he's a kid, he's, he's in his very young 20s and he's just, if I have a question about anything, I go to him, you know, he's just lived like his grandma Sylvia Earle, so <laughs> he's lived a life of science, conservation, diving, photography, artwork, he's just amazing, so building the housing with these guys has just been really, really fun and super difficult but it's it's paying dividends now with just the story and and the the kind of imagery we I'm creating and it's just this great combined team effort and it's it's just fun. You know, um like coming from a construction background and, and understanding engineering and mechanics, like there's nothing better than sitting down and creating your own underwater housing for one of the most historic camera models in the world. Um, so yeah, I have distanced myself from the digital world. I used to be on a 1DX, a Canon, which is one of the best cameras you can get. And then I went to Nikon and I was on the D850, which again is one of the best cameras you can be on. And, and Nikon and Canon are as good as it gets. You know, I'd, I'd say to anyone on those systems, you've, you've picked a really great brand and so is Sony I could I could go on for days but the Leica is just so cool <laughs> and the process and that sounds to me like that was a really important practice for you to go through yeah. to shift across to I'll just start that again oh, oh it looks battery. like a low battery <laughs> Shit. can I plug that in and record at the same time Charge no, I don't think you can. The audio's still going though, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe we just have to... Like this is still going? Yeah. Yeah. It's still going. Um, Alright, maybe we just accept that there's no video for the remainder <laughs> yeah, of the podcast. That's alright. So we just asked that question then um, before the GoPro dropped out about, yeah, this the process of going through across the rangefinder sounds yeah. like it was an important one for you. Yeah, really important. It, it's, it's right now where I'm at in my journey with photography. It's the most important thing I'm working on. One of them. I'm, I'm really excited by it. Every moment of it's challenging. I've I've taken this setup to South Australia twice with the great white sharks and also to Tonga twice with the humpback whales and every single time I get in the water with that camera I endure a different experience it's just really enjoyable and speaking back to that 
competitive nature, it's hard. You know, I, I mean, Scott Patelli is a really close friend and amazing mentor, and he's he's been there for me since the very start of my journey. And man, he, he is such a stand-up guy and an amazing photographer. And <laughs> the the few times I've given him the housing to even just look through a play with, he just can't wait to put it back down on the table <laughs> he's just why are you using this it's just, but he understands why he's into it and he thinks it's if I can speak from it I'm sure he thinks it's cool and fun and great but it doesn't tick his boxes <laughs> so it's just unique you know unique experience yeah and pays homage to a brand and a, a camera that I I really support and love it feels like in order to create, I mean, the art, let's leave that aside, but there's also this piece there of creating that, you know, um, differentiation and delineation from what everyone else is doing. So do you want to talk about social media and any love-hate relationships you have with this very important part of being anyone, be it an artist or an identity anyone who wants to have a brand associated to them has to play in this space. Where are you at now on that and where have you, know, you been in the past? Mm. What's your attitude? I have a complicated relationship with Instagram. I don't even like saying the word. <laughs> but it's so relevant now. And I step in and out of it all the time. And when I do step out of it, I go, oh, screw Instagram, I don't need them. But I kind of did need them and I still continue to and it's just a part of your life that you kind of have to be involved with. You know, social media is just one of those things where if you're not on top of it, you are gonna you're gonna be negatively impacted by it because there's someone else on there that's doing what you're doing and they're doing well on social media. So first of all I would say there has to be a balance in your life, like in your personal life, where it doesn't like really affect you, where you're not striving to to like make Instagram happy, or, or you know, like not as in the company. Just you're not doing things for social media platform, but just to understand the role it does play. And without Instagram, I wouldn't have been recognised as quickly and I wouldn't have got my work out to the masses but then I could say without doing a showing in New York I, I wouldn't enter these so I think it's just you just have to navigate it with care and, and talk to others about it and if it is starting to be a problem like to call that out in yourself so where I'm at with Instagram now is I, I put a lot of my imagery on there that people know of and and I'm not really into putting new work up there I just want to keep being relevant in a sense where my audience could be growing and and those key images like bow and abstraction and character and fluke and nurture and those beautiful pieces are just continuing to be seen by a new audience and I'm maintaining my place you know and and 
people do things now just for Instagram, and it kind of upsets me. You have to have a point of difference for everything. It doesn't matter if you're, you want to be, you create an air conditioning company, or you want to get into basketball, or you want to do photography. Like to, to really move forward, you have to have a point of difference, and you have to somewhat understand how you can be the best in that area. So I think social media will pick up on that if, if you are an aspiring photographer and you have great imagery, people will follow you. So just be true to what it is you're trying to achieve and and um and show it to people I guess. But yeah, it's just a hard it's a complicated topic, social media is it is. And I think what you said there about and it's not going to be easy for everyone and we're not offering up necessary direct advice, but you do have to put yourself in the picture, right? Yeah, because definitely. if you are spiralling into negative places with that, you're just going to feed that and get worse unless yeah. you call it out. For sure. And, and I never want to be that person that, you know, if, if you want to be a photographer or a videographer or an artist or you are, you don't. I think you're you already are that person, you know, and and you st- if you want to start expressing it through that form, that's great. Um, and you just have to understand what the word success means to yourself, you know. If if you're just doing those things, you're succeeding by doing it. To me, I want to do those things because I enjoy the physical and mental freedom and the expressionism I get, but I also want to do them the best I can, you know, whether it be printing my pieces, I want to print on the best paper, I want to, you know, so I think coming back or summarising to some of these things, if you want to succeed, whether that word means financially or anything, you have to just be the best, you know, so you have to have a point of difference. Um, you can't just take another photo of something that we've all seen before and, and then be upset that it didn't get a thousand followers and it's not social media's fault, it's not because you don't have enough followers, it might just be because the harsh reality is everyone's seen it before so there needs to be a point of difference there. You know, you're not going to go listen to a musician who's singing another musician's song. I mean, we do, we, we're, we're going to enjoy that. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm going a bit off. No, I think actually we're we're at that sort of point where I think this conversation was meant to to wrap up in the sense that you know I after this chat um, understand so much more about you and why it is you are here today in 2020 doing what you all were meant to do. Um, Maybe just to sort of tie a bow around things, we just get a bit of a snapshot of of the future for you. Do you have anything clear or do you have anything you want to talk about? Or maybe there's something current where you're at you want to, want to tell think, people about? Um, I definitely want to continue working with the scientists and to really um, focus more on the aspects of conservation. Um, I think I was pigeonholed in that early, but 
I was tricking myself to think that's what I got in it for. Um, you know, if, if you've listened to this podcast just through these last conversations, it's been, you know, to achieve certain goals. And, and now I'm in a space where I do have a large audience, or I'm in a space where I am at these art shows or have these clients or collectors, and I now have the relationship with the scientist. So it is time now like, to really step up a bit more with that space, um, conservation, um, you know, and, and speaking more to awareness and, and the wildlife that have given me the most incredible life. Um, so that's that's where I'm at now. You know, the other things, I've, I've done the hard work and they're ticking over and, and that's great. And I think that's important that, you know, whether you're entering a space, like you have to do it selfishly to start off with Otherwise, when you get to that point, you're going to look back and go, "Far out! I did all these kind of for the wrong reasons." Like, you, I think it's important to really nurture the certain things that are lacking to, to when you can get to a point now. And for myself, and I go, if I was to go completely into activism or like whole my whole life into conservation, now I'd I'd be doing it really well because I've suppress those other things or not suppress of of fed whatever it is my ego my competitiveness and and achieving those goals i have and and now it's time like hey like all these things are relying where i would be silly not to you know use where i am at for the greater good not you know so that yeah to answer that question that's, yeah, not, that's what i want to do i, I want to mm. Because, uh, you know, you guys were like, hey, do you want to be an ambassador of Take 3? I was one of the first ones, and it was great. It was it was so cool, and the opportunities were... I was contributing imagery and, and spreading awareness about picking up rubbish, all things that I completely love and agree with and are important. But to me, I didn't get as much satisfaction of saying I was a Take 3 ambassador as I would f- from achieving one of my own personal goals. So I think it's just important for me to go through those phases and now stand up and, and say, you know, it's time to step up to the plate more. Um, and the spheres of influence as well. Think about how they have transformed over the last half decade um, from, you know, a large social media following and a really emerging reputation to now, you know, knowing billionaires and being able to bring in the best of the best scientists to change people's attitude who had so much influence themselves. Yeah. So you're just moving into new stratas yeah, that are going to create a cascading positive impact. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I want to be in that space. You know, I used to feel a lot of pressure of being pigeonholed or people, maybe it's just in my own mind that people possibly thought I wasn't doing as much as I could do in that, that space. But that just wasn't my space. It hasn't been my space there, um, and and now I'm moving into more of that space, you know. So I, I think you just got to be true to yourself and and whether what what it is that you you really want to achieve, and and we need more people doing good things for the environment. But if you don't enjoy doing it, then you have you're not going to be doing it well. So I think, again, that comes down to like the importance of organically bridging gaps instead of seeing someone 
throw a cigarette on the ground and yelling at them like they're not going to go home and change from that it's really important that they understand why and if, if it got to the point where they're embarrassed by doing it in front of their child that's the reason they stop then that's great we just have to understand how it can be relatable to everyone because some people just don't care about some things so how can we help them to care and, and that's where I'm at now with with that so bring it on <laughs> hopefully bring I can on. help the animals a bit more any last um, final words then mate or any sort of um, suggestions on when people can find out more about you um, yeah just they can go to my website it's mattdraper.art um, or Instagram it's mattdraperphotography and yeah, the, probably last thing I want to say is just thanks to everyone that's like got me to where I am. Like seriously, been super fortunate to have like good influence. Yeah. Humans. <laughs> well, it's been awesome to you know watch and you know be a small part of it, but I just can't wait to see where it all goes next, mate. Hopefully, we have many, many more. Beautiful conversations in the future. Thanks, brother. Thanks, mate.
shit out of me